Andrew Womack Ministries presents part three in the Christian First Aid Kit, a six-part album. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Boy, God has been doing some awesome things. I tell you, the Word of God will change your life if you'll just sit and open up your heart and receive it. And there's been people's lives transformed just in the two services we've already had. I started ministering last night out of John chapter 14. I'm going to go back there uh, this evening. And this is something that uh, the Lord put these verses together on my heart like this nearly 30 years ago. And I've entitled this uh, the Christian Survival Kit. Because this is Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. And they are about to enter into the worst crisis, not only of their life, but I believe the worst crisis that anybody could ever go through. In between the crucifixion and the resurrection, it was going to be a terrible time. Their life was threatened. Their hopes were destroyed. Uh, confusion set in. Fear. Satan had come against them. These were the foundations of the church. What you and I are experiencing 2,000 years later would have been totally different had these men been defeated and discouraged and given up their faith and not gone throughout the world and spread the gospel. Man, this is just critical. It was all of the demonic realm was fighting against them. I think it was a crisis of unequal proportions, certainly in our life. And yet Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen, sat them down and just began to go back through and remind them of things so that they wouldn't be offended. John 16, 1 says, I'm speaking these things to you so that you will not be offended. And Jesus began to start speaking things to them to help them through this crisis time. And I believe that this has a direct application to us. Every one of us go through crisis. And what do you, how do you, uh, what do you do in a crisis? Well, I believe that the same things that Jesus was telling his disciples will work for you. And in a sense, Jesus just went back and took in little seed form all of the things that he'd been teaching for three and a half years and just went back and reminded them of these things. And so this is like the Lord pulled together all of the revelation that he had been giving and he put it in these few chapters, John 14, 15, and 16, and he gave it to his disciples so that they could have walked in victory during this time in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. Of course, it turned out that they let fear and stuff overcome them. God loved them and they recovered from it and they went on and did things. But it doesn't negate the fact that the Lord spoke these things to them so that they wouldn't be offended. And likewise, most of us have failed and we've missed it and we let circumstances overwhelm us, but the Lord has given us everything that it takes for us to walk in victory. You do not have to fold every time a problem comes your way and get into defeat and then after you've accepted defeat and wallowed in it, start trying to work your way back to God. You can get to where you stand strong and you don't go through the same uh, defeat and discouragement that other people go through. You can't stop problems from coming, but you can stop those problems from getting on the inside of you. So this is what we started talking about. And last night I spent all of my time on John 14, 1, where the very first thing he said is, don't let your heart be troubled. You've got to grab hold of your emotions and you've got to begin to start taking authority. The Lord would be unjust to tell us not to let our heart be troubled if it was impossible to do. And most people today have just accepted 
the lie from the devil that we've been influenced by the secular world to believe that we're nothing but just an evolved animal. I can't help it. This person has done this and this is just normal. I'd be in denial if I don't do it. You aren't just an animal. You are a person created in the likeness of God. You have the, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. And I'm telling you, you should be able to stand up and praise God in the face of the hurt and the pain. And you need to, first of all, the very first thing is grab hold of your emotions and not let your heart be troubled. Don't panic. And how do you do that? The next part of that verse says, you believe in God, believe also in me. The way you do it is you, you believe. You use faith instead of walking by sight and just anticipating all of the negative things that are going on in your life. Use faith. And man, we can preach forever on faith. But that's powerful. That's what I talked about last night. This morning, I talked about verses 2 and 3 where he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And we talked about why did he start talking about heaven? Because sometimes the problems in front of you are so big, it's like you can't. Uh, seem to get around them or over them and it looks like that it's just certain destruction. How do you deal with these overwhelming problems that come at you? If you have to, close your eyes and think about heaven. And then I turned over to 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 4, 17 and 18. Paul said that all of his afflictions were just a light affliction. Not because it was less than ours. He had more problems. He had more things come against him than any of us. But it's the way you process things that determine how big and how oppressive they are in your life. I've had people come in my prayer lines before just crying and bawling and I say, what's wrong with you? And they tell me, and honestly, I, this is not an exaggeration. I've had to bite my lip before to keep from laughing. <laughs> like, this is it? This is what's upsetting you? Man, I have worse things than that happen on my good days. There's some people that just get destroyed over little minor things, not because the problem itself is so big, but it's just that they process it. The way they process it, they're so self-centered. You know, if you're all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. And if your whole life is all about you, then the slightest little bump in the road can just be a devastating thing. When you get to where there's things more important than you, it really changes a lot of stuff. It really does. You know, one of the good, healthy things about the ministry is that you get a compassion for people. And even though there's things happen, they aren't that important because you've got other things. You've got other people depending upon you and you've got to be able to do some things. And it helps you to put things into perspective. You know, we had some things today that uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it might have upset me and it bothered me and stuff, but it's really insignificant. It's not a big deal and other people are dependent upon me, and I have to look past some things and just put it into perspective. And this is what the Lord is talking about, that if you have problems, and if you can't see any way out, if it looks like you're going to die, well then think about, praise God, I go to heaven. You put it into perspective, and you know what? What's, what's going to happen? Nothing can happen to you. The worst thing that can happen to you is you die and go to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus in a mansion on streets that are paved with gold. There'll never be any more sorrow or crying. You'll be happy. You'll experience joy like you've never known it in your life. Not too bad. 
Man, if you'd really stop and think about it, when you start looking at things that way, it makes, oh, who cares? Whatever I have to endure down here to fulfill what God called me to do, it's no big deal. And it just gives you a different perspective. So these are what we've talked about. Don't panic. Believe God. Put everything into perspective. Recognize it's just for a moment. It's not going to last. Quit looking at things that are seen. And then right after he said all of that in John 14, verse 4, he says, And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. Now here's Jesus speaking to his disciples. He just talked to them about uh, heaven. In my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll come and receive you again. And then he says, And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And look at this in verse 5. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not where thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now stop and think about this. Jesus just said, You know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Thomas says, Lord, I don't know where you're going. I don't know how to get there. Here's a piece of advice. It would be wise on your part that when God says something, instead of saying, that's not true, that's not right, it'd be better for you to say, God, explain to me, show me something. But rather than, he just said, whether I'm going, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. Just out and out countered what the word said. Why? Because his little peanut brain didn't understand it and he leaned unto his own understanding more than unto the word of God. I'm telling you, one of the keys to overcoming and having victory in a trying situation is to say, God, this looks impossible to me, but your word says all things are possible to him that believes. And instead of you exalting your own opinion and leaning unto your own understanding, you need to get to a place where you humble yourself and say, God, the word says I'm healed, but the doctor and my body say that I'm sick. I don't understand, but God, explain to me. You know, I had a man come up tonight and tell me that he had cancer throughout his entire body and metastasized, and he had cancer from head to toe. But the man wasn't whining, he wasn't complaining, and he says, I know that by his stripes I'm healed, and I came here to receive the knowledge that I need to be able to unleash and and uh, release the power of God that's in me. Would you help me? Now, I like that attitude. I like that. He's saying, here's what the Word says. I don't see it in my body and I don't understand. Would you help me to receive and stuff? But he didn't come and just say, oh, the Bible says, yeah, I'm healed, but I'm not healed. Here's a doctor's report that proves that I'm not healed. And this is how most people respond. Most people exalt their own wisdom, their own feeling, their situation, their assessment of the situation over the Word of God. Jesus is saying, you know where I'm going. And you know the way. They said, we don't know where you're going. And Jesus said unto them, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. They knew Jesus, but they didn't know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't fully appreciate who who Jesus was. Likewise, the Lord has told us that we are overcomers that we have all of these things and we see what the Word says. Most of us know what the Word says, but we don't know it. We don't have a full revelation and we're exalting our own understanding and because of it, we aren't receiving the benefit of what the Word has to do in our life. 
One of the things you have to do in a crisis situation is resist this temptation to let circumstances tell you something and be more real to you than what God's Word has to say. God's Word says He supplied all of your needs. Here's your bank account that's at zero. They just repossessed your car. Your house is... You've lost your house. You've lost your job. And all of these physical things in the natural. Are you going to let the natural dominate you or are you going to stand on the fact that God says you have these things? And some people think, well, it's either one or the other. You can't have both. Yes, you can. The truth is that you have been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And that is true even if in the natural realm you're in the poverty house. Amen. If you're in the poor house. If your body is hurting, the truth is that you have already been healed. Man, I wish I had about two or three days to explain that one. Some people think, well, you're just... You aren't dealing in reality. Reality is, I don't care what the Word says, my body hurts. No, reality is that in the spirit realm, you have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, you aren't only spirits. You also have a physical body, and therefore, you need to get it out of the spirit and into the physical realm. But I'm saying both can be true at the same time. Every person in here... If you've been born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the same power on the inside of you that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. You already have it. It's not out there someplace and you've got to pray it down. It's already on the inside of you. You already have it. It doesn't come and go. It's there constantly. Your spirit is perfect. It never fluctuates. You always have, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. It's always there in your spirit. You're never depressed. You're never discouraged. Your spirit is jumping up and down right now and praising God for the truths that I'm saying. Your spirit is always in the presence of God. But the problem is we aren't always in the spirit. We get to moving by what we feel and we listen and our mind takes control. But the truth is in the spirit, you are everything. You have everything that God says you have. It's there, but you also have a physical body. You're three parts and you get your spirit and your mind in agreement. That's two against one. Your physical body will go to experiencing the power of God. It's a simple fact. But if you get your mind over here to where it's dominated, but here's what the doctor says. My body hurts and I just can't help it. I'm just trying to be real. No, you're just being carnal. The truth is that in your spirit, you still have the life of God. If you're dying of cancer, inches from your cancer is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. But in a sense, it's a world apart because it's in the spiritual world and this cancer is in the physical world. How do you get it from the spiritual into the physical? It's got to pass through your mind, through your soul. And if you let your mind be dominated by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, it's just like turning a valve. You can shut off the flow of the supernatural power of God so that not a drop comes out this end. And this is what's happening. We get to where we exalt our own feelings. We go by what we see. And yet God's word says, he says, you know where I'm going. You know the way. And we just sit there and say, nope, that's not true. We don't know. The Bible says by stripes you're healed. No, I'm not healed. Here's a doctor's report proof. I'm not healed. 
Which are you going to believe? Thomas would have been smart to say, God, I believe you. Would you please explain to me? Matter of fact, later in this chapter, you find out that he was saying some other things like this. And, and finally, uh, they, they said, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not reveal it to the world? They didn't say, all right, we don't believe you. No, they said, he said, I will come and manifest myself unto you and the world won't be able to receive, but you will receive. They didn't understand. And they said, how is it? Explain it to us. And Jesus, there was no rebuke this time. He just explained it. The Lord understands that we don't always grasp everything. And so it's okay to say, Father, I believe that by His stripes I'm healed. But would you help me to get it from the spiritual into the physical? Would you explain? Would you teach me what I need to know? That's fine. But there are people that I've come up before and said, by the stripes of Jesus, you're healed. And they said, nope, that's not me. I'm not healed. And they know what the Word says, but it doesn't matter. They don't care what the Word says, it's what they feel. That's more real to them than what God's Word says. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. I know somehow you're struggling and saying, man, you can't live that way. Yes, you can. You can walk by faith and not by sight. And so he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. They knew Jesus, but they didn't know really who Jesus was. They didn't realize He was their answer. They didn't understand He was the way to the Father. They, they were just so carnal, they weren't even getting these things. You know, I wish I... I encourage you to please get some of these materials out here. I got so much I'd love to tell you. I'd love to give you everything I know in one night. But I just can't do it. But man, I've got some teaching out there about how you walk by faith and not by sight that would fit perfectly right here. But I, that's another hour and a half sermon. But that's awesome. And then look at this in verse 7. He says, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. And this time Philip says unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it will satisfy us. He just said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip says, Oh, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. You wonder why they're called disciples? Man, how dumb can you get and still breathe? He just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip says, oh, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Man, unless we could be too hard on these disciples, you know what? We do the same thing. God says, by my stripes you're healed. And you say, oh God, please heal me. You know, if God could be confused, I believe God would be confused. I believe Jesus would look over and say, didn't I tell, didn't I write that someplace in the Bible that by my stripes you were healed? Did, didn't I say that? Didn't I tell him? It's amazing. God says we're healed. God says we're blessed. God said we can do all things. God said no weapon formed against us will prosper. God said we are above only and not beneath the head and not the tail. Anything you set your hand unto will prosper. You're blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You'll be so prosperous you won't have to borrow. You'll lend unto many nations, but you'll never borrow. We've got all of these things said. And people say, oh, that's not true of me. I don't have this. I'm sick. I'm poor. Nothing's working for me. And we just sit there and counter it. That's exactly what Philip did. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. 
Here's another thing to think about. He says, we will be satisfied if you'll sow us the Father. So what he's saying is, Jesus, I'm not satisfied with you. But if I can see the Father, if I can see the heavens open up, if I can see some majestic manifestation of God's power, then I'd be satisfied. But I'm not satisfied with you. That's a strong statement. And you know what? When people, when people have the word that says, by his stripes you're healed, and you say, well, I'm not satisfied with that. I've got to have the doctor confirm it. I've got to have this happen. I've got to have a goosebump. I want an angel to come and tell me that I'm healed. I, I have to have three prophecies. I've got to have two dogs walk and then one cat move the other direction. And if these things happen, then that's a confirmation that God has healed me. It's just like a slap in the face of Jesus. It's just like saying the word isn't enough. But if I could have this happen, if you will have Andrew Womack prophesy to me and say in the name of Jesus you're healed, then I'll believe that. The word's not enough, but if I could have something happen over here. You know, most of us wouldn't ever say those things, but really this is what it amounts to. I'm sure that Philip didn't sit here and think, Jesus, I'm not satisfied with you. But that's exactly what he was saying. I'm not satisfied with what I see in you, but if you could show us the Father, if we could see God the Father standing on the throne or something in heaven, then we'd be satisfied. But I'm not satisfied with you. We need to think about that. God has given us this Word. Jesus is the Word. Jesus has given us these exceeding great and precious promises that by these we might be a partaker of the divine nature of God having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 2 Peter 1, 4. God has given us all of these things and they're powerful and yet most people don't honor the Word. The Word says this, the doctor says this, the banker says this, their emotions say this, and most of us are more moved by this, and we're just as guilty as these disciples saying, no, we, we aren't satisfied with you. We haven't seen, we, aren't, we need more. You don't need more than this Word. Right. You know, again, let me just put a little parenthesis here, and I'm going to come back to this, what we're talking about. But when I first got turned on to the Lord, I was raised a Baptist. And I was told that God died with the apostles and that miracles didn't happen nowadays, that all you could do is get saved and then stuck and you go to heaven and that's when everything happens. But there was no such thing as angels speaking to you and the Holy Spirit speaking to you and miracles and stuff like this. We were told all that stuff didn't work today. And when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and began to experience the presence of God, and I got around people like Kenneth Hagin who talked about that he had burning in his hands and an angel spoke to him and the Lord did things, things that were in the Word and you could see that they were there. And when I found out that these things were still happening today, it was like I felt cheated. And I began to start praying and fasting and putting pressure on God to have an angel come and speak to me and do things. And I was believing God and I was grabbing hold of the horns of the altar and shaking it until God came out. I was going to start seeing supernatural things happen. And anyway, it's a long story, but the Lord spoke to me through a number of things. And uh, one of them was John chapter 20, where Thomas uh, was told by the other apostles that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and that they had seen him. But Thomas wasn't there. This is the same Thomas that said this up here about, Lord, we don't know the way. We don't know how to get there. 
And Thomas wasn't present when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And so he says, unless I can see with my eyes the print of the nails, unless I can put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And eight days later, Jesus appeared. And this time Thomas was present. And he walked right up to Thomas. And he said, Thomas, put your finger into the print of the nails and put your hand into my side. And don't be faithless, but believing. And Thomas just fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto Thomas, he said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you believe. Yea, rather, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus said there was a greater blessing on those who would take the word and believe than those who have to have something physical, tangible to prove it to them. And when I saw that, I immediately X'd out all those previous prayers. I said, God, I'll take anything. If you want to send an angel, I'll receive anything you've got. But from now on, your word is enough. I want to operate in the highest. I want to operate in the greatest blessing of God. I don't want to have to have you come down to some lower level and give me just an emotional thing. I'd rather walk in faith. Faith is what pleases God. And it changed my whole approach to God. And brothers and sisters, the sad fact is most Christians are not taking the word and believing it. God is saying all of these great things that I've just quoted and yet we sit here and say, well, it's not true in my life and this doesn't work and I'm not blessed and I'm not prosperous and I'm not healed and we go by our own reasoning. We go by all of these physical, tangible things. It would do us well to just say, Father, I believe your word. I've got these things. You begin to confess the word and believe it. And the spiritual realm is stronger than the physical realm. The spiritual realm created the physical realm. The spiritual realm will trump and dominate the physical realm if you'll just mix it with faith. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2 says, The word preached unto them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You've got to mix the word with faith. The word won't set you free by yourself. It's got to be mixed with faith. You've got to believe it for it to release its power. The truth doesn't set you free. It's the truth you know that sets you free. You have to experience it. It has to become reality to you. John chapter 8 verse 32 says, And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And so we've got to get to where we exalt God's word over your own feelings and over your own reasonings. And so Jesus had just told them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you and hast thou not known me? Philip, he that has seen me has seen the Father and how sayest thou, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. You know what Jesus was trying to say is, Philip, you don't know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've experienced me, you've experienced the Father, but... You know, this is something I just pray that the Holy Spirit helps you to understand because I struggled with this for a long time. And again, this is one of those things that you have to receive by revelation. I can't argue you into this. This defies logic, human logic. 
But it makes perfect spiritual sense. But Jesus was not just who he was in his physical body. His physical body was like his earth suit that allowed him to get around in this earth. And it was sinless and it was pure, but the scripture says that there wasn't any beauty in it. In Isaiah chapter 52, that when we see him, there is no beauty. There is no comeliness that he should be desired. Jesus was not a desirable person. What it says in in Isaiah chapter uh, 53, I believe it's verse 2. That there is no comeliness, no beauty that we sh- he should be desired. Jesus was not a pretty person. I don't believe he was necessarily ugly, but he was just he was just normal. You know, some people are going to be offended by the things I say right here because they just have this romanticized impression and they're removed from the facts and they just have envisioned Jesus however they want to envision him. But the scripture reports that there was nothing in Jesus that looked supernatural. You know, if I would have been God becoming a man, I'd have been the best specimen of manhood that this world had ever seen. I'd make Arnold Schwarzenegger look puny compared to me. Man, I'd have been tall. I'd have been big. I'd have been one hunk. I'd have been good looking. I'd have done all of these things. But Jesus came and became like we were. There was nothing special about him. Jesus was not a pretty person. He wasn't one of those people that we desire. There may be some of you that don't feel very special and you you feel like people have passed you over and that you've never been one of those that other people admire. Jesus went through all of that. Jesus was God in the flesh. He would walk down the street and see people that he created and they didn't even acknowledge him. They didn't even know that they were walking down the street with their creator. Can you imagine what that would have been like to have been the God of the creation and looking at people and people don't even recognize who you are. There was nothing special about you. When you looked at Jesus' body, there was nothing special. And his disciples, I believe it was really hard for the disciples to really believe that he was God because he was just so human. And again, I hope this doesn't offend you, but you know, it was a shock to me when I realized some of these things that I'm saying to you. I remember in a Baptist church over in Garland, Texas, we were watching this film called The Gospel Road by Johnny Cash. I don't know if any of you ever remember that. But Johnny Cash put out a film about Jesus. And in the deal, they had a blonde-haired, blue-eyed hippie play Jesus. Which I was raised in the Baptist church, and if your hair ever touched your collar, you went directly to hell. You didn't pass go. You didn't collect anything. I was offended from the get-go and everything, and I knew Jesus wasn't blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and I was just offended about everything. But as I watched it, they weren't even trying to portray what Jesus was like in his physical body. They were trying to portray what he was like on the inside. And I think in a sense, they chose somebody that was so out of character that you wouldn't be uh, bothered or looking at the physical way that he looked. And in this show, one of the things that happened when he came down off of the Mount of Temptation, he started coming down and he got on a real steep spot and he started to slide and he finally just sat down on his bottom and slid down this hill And when he got to the bottom, he dusted his rear off like this. And I was just like, oh God, Jesus would have never have done anything like that. And the Lord spoke to me and says, how do you think I got down off that mountain? 
did he just float from rock to rock? And No, Jesus got dirty. Did you know that he didn't have a holiday in to stay in? He didn't take a bath every night. His hair got matted. He stunk. He didn't carry five suitcases with him. He wore the same clothes, maybe one change of clothes, but he was dirty. He stunk. He got sweaty. He got dirty. You know what? When you look at somebody who's like that, you can smell them coming. These guys lived with him 24 hours a day. They didn't have private rooms. They saw Jesus go to the bathroom. And you look at him and think, this is God. That's a little hard to wrap your brain around. You know, I'm what they call a lucid dreamer. I dream in color. I dream, I mean, it's amazing how I dream. There's very little, I sometimes can't tell if I'm awake or asleep. My dreams are so real. I can start and stop my dreams. I can go to bed and choose what I want to dream about. If I don't like my dream, I can stop in the middle of the dream and change it and say, I don't like this dream and dream it different. I don't know what that means, but that's what the... I've read articles and they say that's a lucid dreamer and I dream in color and everything is so real to me, it's just amazing. And one time I had a dream that I was one of the disciples of Jesus and I was walking with him and I saw Jesus raise people from the dead, Dorcas, and I mean not Dorcas, that was uh, Peter, but uh, the uh, widow's son. And I saw him do all of these miracles and I saw all of those things happen and we were just praising God. I was one of the disciples and we were so excited and right in the midst of all of these miracles and excitement, we were walking down the road and Jesus just turns around and sticks his finger right in my face and says, but who do you say that I am? That's the same question he asked Peter in Matthew chapter 16. And in this dream, I was looking at Jesus and even though I had seen the miracles and I knew in my heart who he was, looking at him, he was just as plain as anybody in here. There was nothing special about him. Everything in my natural, my mind, my sight was saying, you're just a man. But my heart was saying, you're God. And there was this huge conflict. And I mean, I had to force myself. It took all of the faith I had. And finally, I came out with the same answer that Peter did. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And boom, my dream was over. But in that dream, I saw that those disciples, it was hard for them to really believe who Jesus was because of the package that he was wrapped in. Even though it was a sinless package, they looked at a man who got hungry, who got tired, who got dirty, who stunk, who sweat. And they looked at him and everything in the natural says he's only a man. Because they were looking on the outside. They were walking as mere human beings. This is what was happening right here. He says, have I been with you all of this time and you haven't known me? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't talking about if you've seen his physical body. He was talking about if you've seen his heart, the way he dealt with people, how he came to set people free. You've seen the Father. Jesus, it says in Hebrews 1, 3, was the express image of the Father. That means an exact copy, a perfect representation. Jesus represented God 100%. Nothing was left undone, but not in his physical body. His physical body is not a perfect representation. He was talking about his heart, his attitude, his actions, the way he dealt with people. 
And the sad thing is, most people don't know a person heart to heart. They judge you based on the external. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. Let me just turn over and read this for a second. I'm not sure I can quote the whole thing. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. It says, Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Most of you probably don't have that verse underlined. This isn't a scripture that you put on your refrigerator. But you know what? This is a powerful verse. And I hadn't got time to put it all in its context, but verse 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. In 2 Corinthians 4, 18, we are looking at things that can't be seen. What's all of this talking about is that he doesn't judge things just on the external. It is not his flesh that he knew God in. He doesn't relate to any man any longer based on the flesh. Boy, what a powerful truth that is. You know, if we did that, such things as race and gender and all of these things would never be a problem. But we, mankind, natural fallen men, and even Christians, if they're carnal and not operating in the spirit, they operate carnally. They base it on what they see and what they feel and all of these physical things instead of basing it on their heart. Paul is saying, we don't know any man that way anymore. We don't relate to any person based on these external things. And he says, we don't even know Christ anymore after the flesh. You know, Paul was raised in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel. He was one of the Pharisees of the Pharisees. And Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem, I guarantee you, he turned the religious system upside down. And there's lots of accounts of all of the Pharisees and scribes being there and heckling Jesus and stuff. And so it's logical to think that Paul saw Jesus. Jesus was a central figure and when he came to Jerusalem, Paul, I'm sure, had to have seen Jesus. He might have even been in the crowd that criticized Jesus. And so he had seen Jesus. I believe that when he was saying, we don't know Christ after the flesh anymore. I believe that Paul, if you would have asked, what did Jesus look like? He could have told you how tall he was, what his hair color was, what his eye color was, probably some things about him physically, some of his features. He knew Jesus after the flesh he could describe his body, but he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know who he was until after the death and resurrection. And then he encountered the risen Jesus. And man, he fell on his face and said, Who are you, Lord? I don't know who you, ever, who you are, but whoever you are, you're my Lord. <laughs> Amen. He made the decision to submit right then. And the Lord revealed himself as Jesus. And he came to know Jesus and Paul, who never sat under the physical ministry of Jesus, was not one of his intimate disciples. Paul had a greater revelation than the people who lived with Jesus for three and a half years. Paul wrote half of the New Testament. Paul had a revelation that was so strong of the grace of God. It's really what established the church. So much so that Peter even said, our beloved brother Paul says some things that are hard to be understood which those who are unlearned and unstable wrestle as they do the other scriptures. Peter called Paul's writing scripture in Paul's lifetime. Peter submitted himself. Paul rebuked Peter when he came to Antioch and he rebuked him openly because Peter knew the truth about the gospel going to the Gentiles and yet he was afraid of the Jews. 
and he compromised and Paul rebuked him in front of everybody. Paul, who didn't even know Jesus in the flesh, but he knew him by the spirit, was the one who became the leader and the founder of the New Testament and the one who actually took authority and precedent over the people who knew Jesus in the flesh. And you know why that was? Because Paul had the added blessing of he didn't have all of this physical, natural stuff that was standing between him and seeing who Jesus really was. To be a disciple of Jesus was actually uh, a hardship in a way. And I know some of you struggle to understand what I'm talking about. But Jesus was so natural that that naturalness stood in the way of them perceiving who he really was. And that's what he's talking about here in John. He says, if I've been so long with you and you don't even know who I am, they would have told you who he was. They would have told you what he looked like, but they didn't know him. They knew his flesh, but they didn't know his spirit. For instance, did you know John, the beloved apostle? John, in John chapter 13, put his head on Jesus' bosom. They didn't sit at tables and chairs the way we do. They had low tables and they sat on pillows and they reclined. And John just laid his head over on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper because he was the one that Jesus loved. And they had an awesome relationship. And he put his head on Jesus' chest. Did you know that that is the exact same Jesus that when John saw him in the book of Revelation on the Isle of Patmos and he saw Jesus glorified and his eyes were like fire and his voice was like Niagara Falls and his feet were burnished brass and he saw the glory of Jesus. That's the same Jesus. He was the same when he was on the earth as he is now in heaven. It's just that it was had a cloth over it, a body over it that shielded people from seeing his glory. Jesus didn't change. But when John saw him in his glory, instead of putting his head on his chest, he fell at his feet as if he was dead and had to have an angel come strengthen him and, and raise him up. They didn't know the real Jesus. They were relating to him on the physical body. Did you know that after Jesus rose from the dead, I challenge you to check this out. I'm not going to take time to verify it, but in every single resurrection appearance, there was some hindrance of the people understanding who this was. Mary Magdalene was talking to him and thought he was the gardener. And finally he said, Mary, and the way he called her name, something sparked on the inside of her and she says, Rabboni, and fell at his feet. And there, in every instance, sometimes it's not obvious, but if you'll stop and look at it, it, it becomes obvious as you study it. His own disciples who had spent three and a half years with Jesus didn't recognize Jesus after he was risen from the dead. In the 20, 21st chapter, I believe it is, of John, he went to the disciples and Peter said, I'm going fishing. And so a bunch of the disciples went with him and they fished all night long and caught nothing. In the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. And he said, children, do you have any meat? They said, we've fished all night long and don't have anything. And he said, cast your net on the other side and you shall receive. And they did it. And all of a sudden, every fish in the Sea of Galilee tried to get in that net. And they brought the net to shore and they had 153 fish. They'd fished all night long and caught nothing. But at his word, they did it. It reminded them of Luke chapter 5 when he called them into the ministry. He had done the same thing. They came to the shore and when they got to the shore, Jesus was sitting there. He already had a fire going and he was cooking some fish. 
And they were sitting there looking at him. They were as close as me to Pastor Bob, looking at the risen Lord. And it says, none of them dared ask Jesus who he was, for they knew who he was. Why would you even write that down? Why would you even say none of them dared to ask who he was? Because you know what? They didn't know who he was. They, in the natural, they couldn't recognize him. But by the spirit, they knew by the way that that miraculous catch of fish happened, by the way he was acting, they knew that this was Jesus. In the 24th chapter of Luke, there was two of them going to Emmaus. And Jesus came and walked with him the same day that he was raised from the dead. And they were talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And Jesus walked with them for seven miles, nearly two hours, walked with them and talked with them. And they didn't know who he was. And finally, he was going to, made like he was going to go on and they compelled him to come in. And he sat down and as he began to take the bread and bless it, it says their eyes were open. Do you think that that means that they had been walking seven miles with their eyes closed? That they walked into their house, that they fixed the food, that they were eating with their eyes closed? Their physical eyes had been opened, but they had been seeing only with their eyes. They hadn't been seeing with their heart. When it says that their eyes were open and they knew who Jesus was, then the moment they saw him with their heart, he vanished out of their sight. You know, once you get to know Jesus by the Spirit, you don't need all of these physical things. He vanished out of their sight. But he was walking with them and they didn't even know who he was. And the key to that's in Mark chapter 14 verse 12 where it just summarizes that entire experience of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says he appeared unto another two of them as they walked into the country and he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked into the country. This doesn't mean that he was in the form of a goat or a cow or a horse or it doesn't mean that he was a different person because in the same day in Luke chapter 24, right after he had broken bread with those disciples and their eyes were open, he appeared that same evening in Jerusalem to the apostles and he told Thomas, he says, put your fingers into the print of the nail, thrust your hand into my side and be not faithless but believing. He still had the print of the nails. He still had the spear where it pierced his side. He had a physical body. He even told him, he says, touch me for a spirit has not flesh and blood, bone as you see me have. He had a physical body, but it was now spiritual and not physical. And 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You can't know Jesus in just physical Ways. You've got to know him by your heart. You have to perceive him in your heart. You, there are things that you can know by your heart that you can't know with your head. And Jesus is now in a glorified spiritual being and we have to know him by the spirit. This is what Paul is referring to. He says, we don't know Christ after the flesh anymore. We did know him that way now, but now we know him by the spirit. The disciples knew Jesus by the flesh. They knew physical things. I believe they could recognize his odor. They could see his body and recognize what it looked like. But they didn't know that this was God Almighty in there. They didn't have this. When Jesus was transfigured, 
You know what? It's just like there was a veil over the glory of God that he really was. He was the glory of God. And when he was transfigured, it's just like he opened up the veil. He got into the presence of his father and it's like he just pulled the veil back and light like the noonday sun began to come out of him. Did you know Jesus was like that all of the time inside? But he had this body that he put over it like a veil, like Moses when he had been in the presence of the Lord. He didn't. He didn't, uh, he wasn't the source of light, but Moses had been in the presence of God so much he had reflected it and he had to put a veil over his face and that veil passed away. It died out. But Jesus, the glory that was on the inside of him, he was like that all the time and his body covered it up. And the sad thing is these disciples over in John 14 had only recognized his physical body. They only were knowing him in the flesh. They were walking like carnal people. They weren't walking by the Spirit. And the point I'm trying to get across tonight is that Jesus, in talking to his disciples, was trying to get them beyond the physical and to see who he really was. And he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Not talking about his physical body, but if you've seen my heart, if you've seen my compassion, if you've seen the way I've treated people, you've seen the true nature and the true character of God. And yet the sad thing is these disciples didn't know Jesus by the Spirit. They only knew Him in the physical realm. And brothers and sisters, there's a multitude of Christians today that don't have spiritual perception. They have the capacity for it, but we're walking after the flesh. The Word of God, which is Spirit, and it is life. John six sixty three. the words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are life. The Word of God is spiritual and it says you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. And we see that, but that doesn't matter. What's more important to us is what the doctor has to say, what our body has to say. And we just negate and cancel out the power of the Word because we're carnal. And it's what we feel that is more important than what we believe. I'm telling you, you can reverse this. You can get to a place to where the Word of God dominates you more than physical, natural facts. And I know some of you right now thinking this is just crazy. But you can do it. You can get to where the Word is more real to you. You can know things by the Spirit better than you can know them by your mind. I know what I'm saying is crazy to some people, but I'm telling you, this is what the Bible says, that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But when you start understanding this, it makes perfect sense. You know, we had an instance a number of years ago where we had a, a weekend where we invited people to come to our Bible college and check it out. And we were worshiping the Lord and Jamie was singing and just worshiping the Lord. And it was powerful. And I was sitting like right here. There was a center aisle. We were in a hotel. I was sitting right there and there were double doors over here in this hotel. And we got to worship in the Lord and it was so powerful. I was just standing there with my eyes closed and we were worshiping God. And as we did that, I mean, I just saw this in my heart. I saw it in the sense that if you said, you know, picture an apple or picture a dog, and in your imagination, you just see something. I didn't see it with my physical eyes, but I saw it in my imagination as I was worshiping God. I saw the Lord just walk in those two doors over there. He just took those doors. They were double doors. And he just threw the doors open like this. And then he stepped inside and those doors were on those closers. And so he was standing there and those doors just closed real slowly behind him. 
And I saw him standing there. And then there were these people that run our Bible college up in Indiana and in Chicago. And they were there. And I saw him just walk over and touch one of those ladies on the head. And when he did, this woman fell flat on her face, just spread eagle like this on the floor, just worshiping God. It was awesome. And then there was two people in between her and the next woman. And he walked over and touched the next woman. And this woman just hit her knees and raised her hands like this and started worshiping the Lord. And what I was seeing in my heart was so real that I opened up my eyes to see if I could see it. And when I opened my eyes, these doors just went wham like this and flew open and nobody was there. And I watched and they just closed real slowly. And then I kept watching and this first woman that I'd seen just fell flat of her face, boom, like this, spread eagle, just worshiping God. And then in a moment, two other people down, uh, this other woman hit her knees and just started worshiping the Lord. And everything I was seeing in my heart was happening in the physical, but I couldn't see Jesus. I couldn't see any of the spiritual things. All I could see was the physical results of it. And it was about 15 seconds delayed from what I'd seen in the spirit. And you know what I actually did? I wound up closing my eyes and going back to looking in my heart because I could see better with my heart than I could see with my physical eyes. And I stood right there and I saw the Lord. He came over and he spoke to me and told me some things. And then he just walked down this aisle, just touching person after person after person all the way down back. And after the service was over, I went to the people that I'd seen him touch and I didn't tell them anything to prejudice them. I just said, what happened during that service? And they said, oh man, the Lord spoke this to me. The Lord said that. And it was a word for word, what I'd heard and what I'd seen. And he had touched those exact people. And brothers and sisters, you can walk by faith and not by sight. You can know things with your heart that you cannot know with your little peanut brain. This is what Paul's talking about. We don't know people after the flesh. We don't even know Christ after the flesh. You can get to where you see in the spirit. These disciples knew Jesus in the flesh, but they didn't know him in the spirit. There are many Christians right here tonight who you know what the word says, but you don't know what the word says. You don't know it. You haven't got the spiritual revelation. You would take the word of a banker. You would take the word of your spouse. You would take the word of somebody else. You will take anything that's tangible and it will trump what the word says because after all, this is reality. I'm telling you that the word of God is spirit and it's life. It's truth. And the word is true. And what the word says about you is true. And when you're in a crisis situation, this ministers to me tremendously. That you in a crisis situation need to go back and say, God, your word is true. I don't care what I'm feeling in my body. I don't care what the financial situation tells me. I don't care what the news says about us being in a recession. I don't care if the rest of the world is saying this or this or this. This is what your word says. And I honor and value your word. I am going to open up my heart and I'm going to perceive with my heart the realities of the word of God. And you get to where the word of God is more real to you than what you feel, than what people tell you than what a piece of paper tells you, than what somebody's report tells you. You get to where the Word of God is more real than anything. And you get to where you are putting that kind of honor on it. You value, value the Word and recognize it's the way, the truth, and the life.
And you do that, and I guarantee you, you're going to come through this crisis situation. If these disciples would have valued the word of Jesus, he had told them 14 times he was going to be crucified, and about eight or nine of those times he told them he would raise from the dead. He was even specific enough to say that I will rise on the third day. He told them these things, but you know what? The word didn't matter to them as much as what they had seen. They were walking by sight. And that's the reason that when Jesus rose from the dead, they couldn't recognize him because they only were operating in the natural. And you have to perceive Jesus spiritually. He was in a glorified body. You can't perceive spiritual truth with your carnal brain. That's not to say that it's illogical. It makes perfect sense. It's just like finances. It makes perfect sense once you see it and prove it that when you give, it shall be given unto you. But to the natural mind, that's crazy. To the natural, you cannot prove and convince a person that if they have a thousand dollars and if they need twelve hundred, that you're better off to take a hundred and give it to the Lord. To the natural mind, you're moving away from your goal. This is stupid. It's foolish. You're decreasing instead of increasing. But once you understand spiritual things, no, you're increasing. That hundred dollars didn't leave your life. It just entered into your future where it's growing and multiplying and coming back a hundredfold. You just increased yourself by taking some and giving it away. That makes sense once you understand it, but to the natural mind, it doesn't make sense. We've got to get to where we take the Word of God, and when He says it, you know me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, instead of sitting there and saying, well, we aren't satisfied with the Word. We aren't satisfied with this. We want something else. We want you to prove this. We want to have five visions and three dreams and two goosebumps. And we've got to have all of these things before we believe. No, you need to get to where you just humble yourself and you receive the word. When you get into a crisis situation, you've got to get beyond just mental understanding, assent of the word of God. And you've got to get to where you know the word of God, to where it's real to you, to where you can walk by faith and not by sight. Brothers and sisters, if you are just limited to what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, you're blind. There is a spiritual world. God is a spirit, John 4, 24. And you've got to, re- you've got to know Him in the spirit. You've got to get to where you see things that are spiritually real. And understand that when you're saying, by His stripes I'm healed, that's not something you do to make God heal you. You say that because you believe that you really were healed and that you have this raising from the dead power on the inside and you're just speaking forth what is real. Some people just believe, can't believe that it's real if you can't see it in a test tube. You know, I'm not going to preach on this in the name of Jesus, but let me just mention real quickly, 2 Kings chapter 6, where uh, Elijah and his servant were surrounded by the Syrians. And he said, what are we going to do, Master? And he says, fear not, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Did you know if all you do is go by the physical, people would say, well, Elisha lied. Because you could count the Syrians by thousands. There was tens of thousands of Syrians and then there's only two of them. And yet he said, those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Those that believe what I'm saying tonight is just foolishness and you're crazy, you you're just saying things are so when they really aren't so, then they would call Elisha a liar. 
And you know what? It would be a lie if all you believe is real is this physical world. Because in the physical world, there were not more with them than there was with the Syrians. But he prayed and said, Lord, open up the young man's eyes. He wasn't talking about his physical eyes. I can guarantee you his physical eyes were big as saucers looking at this problem. His physical eyes were open. He was talking about open up the eyes of his heart. Help him to see into the spiritual realm. And the Lord opened up his eyes. And when he saw, there were angels surrounding them everywhere. Horses and chariots of fire. You know, it was true that there was more with them than there was with the Syrians. But it wasn't true in the physical. It was a spiritual truth. There are spiritual realities. There are angels in here. There is a spiritual you on the inside. There are spiritual things. It is true that you are healed. It's not something that's going to be true when you see the physical manifestation. The truth is you have been healed. You do have raising from the dead power on the inside of you. But it's in the spirit. And if you can't get into the spirit and start walking by faith, if you're going to wait until you feel well before you believe you're well, you're stopping and blocking the flow of the spirit. You've got to get to where just like these disciples, they saw Jesus, but they never saw Jesus. They never saw the real him. They only looked on the flesh. And Paul says, we don't know him that way anymore. We got to know him by the spirit. You can walk in the spirit. When you come into a crisis situation, I believe that this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. That man, you need to perceive who I really am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. You need to understand that my word is true. There's things that you can't see with your physical eyes. You got to know it by the spirit. You've got to get into the spirit realm. You've got to start walking by faith when a crisis hits you. And you can't wait until the crisis hits to start doing this. You've got to do it in advance. You've got to make it a habit to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. To live in the spirit. Man, that's powerful. Again, I could give you so many personal testimonies, but when my son died is an example of this and... Man, we just believed that he was going to be raised from the dead. There was no physical evidence. He'd been dead for four hours, nearly five hours. And yet, we just chose to believe God and we started walking by faith. What what I did personally was start praising God. Because the Bible says strength is, uh, praise is strength to still the enemy and the avenger. Psalms chapter 8 verse 2. And so I just started praising God and thanking him. And when I did, my faith rose up. And by faith, I just saw my son alive and not dead. And when we got into town, my son had been stripped naked, put in a morgue on a slab, had a toe tag on. And yet after we prayed, God raised him up and he sat up in the morgue and started talking. And came back from the dead. And is alive and well today. There is no damage to him whatsoever. And you know how that happened? Because in the natural, there was nothing to verify that. But in the spiritual, I saw some things. And I can tell you that the spirit realm is more real than this physical realm. This physical realm will disappear. This building will be gone someday. The earth will be gone someday. Everything physical and tangible that we are so dependent upon is going to pass away. But the spiritual realm is what created this physical realm. And the spiritual realm will exist for billions of years, for eternity. It will never pass away. 
Spiritual realities are more important than physical realities. And yet most of us go around totally controlled and dominated with just physical thinking and feeling. You've got to get beyond that. You've got to get into the spirit. And that's what Jesus was telling his disciples. Look past his body. Don't you really know who I am? Praise God. You've got the answer. If you're born again, you've got the answer to whatever your problem is living on the inside. But you're going to have to get beyond the physical. There's going to be times that I guarantee you your body is going to tell you you're dying. The doctor will tell you you're dying. They aren't bad. They're just telling you what's in the natural. But they can't tell you what's going on in the spiritual realm. You're going to have to get beyond the doctor's report. Beyond the banker's report. Beyond what the news has to say. And you're going to have to walk by faith if you are going to succeed and prosper in the midst of a crisis situation. And it's a choice. And it takes time. It's a process. You can't sit there and feed your flesh 15 hours a day and spend two minutes in prayer or Bible study and be spiritual. It just doesn't work that way. You're going to have to take some time. And the Word of God is the entrance into the spiritual realm. John 6, 63, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. James chapter 1, whoever looks into the Word is like looking in a spiritual mirror. If you want to see what the Spirit is like, you're going to have to get into the Word. And the Word is Spirit, and it is life, and it will open you up to the spiritual realm. You also need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody here tonight that doesn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I don't believe you can walk in what I'm talking about. Probably what I've said to you tonight is absolutely foolishness. It's because how can you believe something that you can't see or feel? Paul said, we walk by faith and not by sight. That doesn't make sense. Paul said that we're looking at things that can't be seen. How can you see something if you can't see it? It's just like what I was talking about, how I had my eyes closed. And yet I can see better with my eyes closed than I can see with my eyes open. You can do that. This is the way God created man to be. He didn't create us with five senses. He created us with six senses. Our hearts used to dominate us and we used to see by faith. And then we sin and people have degenerated. I believe in evolution. I just believe we've de-evolved. We started out in the image of God and we have evolved downward to where we are just a fraction of what we used to be. But through the new birth, you can go back and through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can once again begin to see with your heart and know things. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yes, I spoke in tongues. But you know the greatest thing that happened is that my spiritual understanding just exploded. The Holy Ghost began to start giving me understanding and speaking to me through the Word. The Word became alive. And yes, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Yes, I believe baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is important. But I tell you, one of the greatest benefits of it is that it will give you the ability to walk by faith. You cannot do it without the supernatural, energizing power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you are like charging hell with a water pistol. You are trying to fight life's problems in your own strength and your own power and you are going to fail. You need power. Jesus said you'd receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And some people are confused and think, well, I got it all when I got saved. I ain't got time to teach on this, but I'm telling you, there is a second experience with the Lord. It's revealed in the word. It came by my experience. I was born again when I was eight, but I was 18 when I received the baptism. It was separate from the, from salvation. It is a separate experience. And when you receive it, it transforms your life. I could go back through church history and show you person after person after person that had the same experience. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and one of the ways you can tell is, do you speak in tongues? That's a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not all that there is to it, but it's important. It's a powerful part. If you don't speak in tongues, you need this second experience where you are baptized, immersed in the power of God, and revelation knowledge begins to start coming through you. You need this. Amen. Some of you are thinking, oh man, I didn't realize you were one of those guys or I wouldn't have come. (laughs) Well, you're already here and I am one of those guys and I speak in tongues. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues every day. Amen. I'm telling you that this is the root that has produced the fruit. And if you are liking or receiving anything that I'm saying, if God's ministering to you, I'm telling you that the way that it came is through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need it. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here tonight that say, man, I don't have that, but you know what? I want to receive it. I want everything that God's got for me. I'd like to have you pray for me. Is there anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. Here's some people over here. Anybody else? Just be bold. Raise your hand. Here's people in the back. People over here. Praise God. We've already seen close to 100 people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit in two services. But you know what? You, it's essential that you have this. You need this. And I know that some of you may have questions. I'm in a church and some of you are thinking, do I have to join this church? No. There's people here from all over different states and stuff. You don't have to join this church. You need to be in a good church. This is a great church. I encourage you to get into a church. But we're just wanting to help you. And uh, we aren't going to do anything to harm you. We aren't going to take from you. I'm going to give you a free book. Amen. So there's nothing to lose. There's everything to gain. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward And we want to pray with you and help you to receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. Just come forward right now and let us agree with you and pray with you. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.